This is an ABC podcast. I look forward to leading a government that makes Australians proud. This election didn't just change a government, it was a green slide. Safe Liberal seats, two term incumbents, independence. We need to go back to our values, our principles, look closely at what has happened. Our policies will be squarely aimed at the forgotten Australians in the suburbs across regional Australia. Hello there and welcome to The Party Room. I'm Patricia Carvellis, the host of RM Breakfast, joining you from the lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people here in Parliament House in Canberra. And I'm Frank Kelly on the Gadigal land of the Aora Nation and this is our annual budget bonus episode of The Party Room where we bring you hot off the press the bits of the budget that are of most interest and impact to you and analyse the budget strategy overall. And this year, that budget strategy saw the Treasurer Jim Chalmers pull the ultimate rabbit out of his hat. Because our first two budgets made such a firm commitment to responsibility and restraint, we are now forecasting a small surplus in 2022-23 which would be the first in 15 years. A surplus. PK, we haven't seen that budget bunny for a long time, have we? No, there's a lot of real bunnies all over Canberra, actually, but the budget bunny was pulled out 15 years, to be precise, Fran. It's the first surplus handed down since Peter Costello at the end of the Howard government. And in fact, the first Labor treasurer to deliver a a budget surplus since Paul Keating, who is... Um, also, as it turns out, Jim Chalmers' hero, and he's written a PhD on the guy. So look at that for a bit of poetry. Now, the $4 billion um, surplus, it is quite thin, but it was driven by a couple of things, definitely high commodity prices, but the more dominant part was also strong labour market um, results. So, you know, that means low unemployment, more people in work. What happens when there are more people in work? guess what? They're paying more tax. Um, And so all of that put together meant that there was just a whole bunch of cashola um, coming the government's way. It meant that it could do extra things, which we'll go to, um, but it also meant that they could deliver this first surplus. Now, if you look at the forecasts, deficits are forecast for the years ahead. Uh, so it's it's one-off surplus and then because we've got these more structural problems, uh, the deficits kick in, although they are thinner than they were going to be. But there is still a debate going on, economists saying, well, if you look at the iron ore price um, that, that the budget assumes – There's nothing to say that we won't be getting higher prices again going into the next budget. So you could even, some economists are saying, Chris Richardson and Danielle Wood, that we might actually even see a surplus next year potentially unless the government takes a different approach in in spending. So, you know, it is a big deal. It is a significant moment. And in fact, so much so that even the opposition leader, Peter Dutton, and the opposition's been really trying to frame this as a drover's dog could do it. But even Peter Dutton gave a tick to the government for, you know, being able to do that. Mm. There were two major elements to the budget, I think it's fair to say. The surplus was one. The other was the $14.6 billion cost of living package that was the centrepiece of what was, given we're in such times of high inflation, a pretty big spending budget, $21 billion over four years. The surplus gives the government political cover and, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this, they can claim strong and responsible economic management, banking 82% of the windfall from those higher commodity prices and taxes you just talked about. 
But that spending package also raises the question of inflation. Will putting that much money into the budget spur inflation on and cause the RBA to push up interest rates again? If that were to happen, the budget would be causing real pain to middle-income home-owning Australians while it tries to relieve the pain on the lowest-paid Australians. So that's the kind of the matrix. Let, let's go through some of the measures, PK. People on JobSeeker or study and Youth Allowance will get $40 a fortnight boost. That's $2.85 a day. That was both a surprise and a disappointment, I think, in the same breath. Rent assistance will go up by $31 a fortnight or much less than that for those people in share houses. So not enough to relieve the pain, that's for sure but maybe just enough for the government to say it's doing what the budget can afford. There's a billion dollars in there to retrofit low-cost housing to make them more energy efficient, and ACOS and others have welcomed that. As we've foreshadowed here on the party room, the single-parent payment was extended from when your child turns 8 to when they turn 14. So that's a boost of just over $170 a fortnight for around 52,000 single parents, most of them women, at a cost of $1.9 billion over four years, and that will make a considerable difference to those families and the kids in those families. The big element of the cost of living package, apart from money, there was also that money for energy bills for around $5 million households we know of. But the the big element, apart from all of that, was the Medicare package, $5.7 billion, two-thirds of that going to GPs to boost the money they get for bulk billing patients. That's a tripling of the bulk billing rebate for GPs. And this should mean that bulk billing rates really start to go up quite quickly. They've been in decline. That will help the unemployed. It will help people on low pay, people with kids under 16. Now, this had to happen, and it will help around 11 million people, so it's significant relief. But let's be clear, it puts more money into the hands of the GPs, first and foremost. And also, there's an, on top of that, there's a, another measure that is not related to cost of living. It's $2 billion to scale up Australia's hydrogen industry. So, PK, is there enough fairness is in it? And and is it inflationary? Well, the inflationary question is going to be key. The Treasury advice is that it's not inflationary and that, in fact, particularly the energy relief that's built into this, 5 million households to get it, is designed in a way that uh, drives down inflation because, you know, it's not a, it's not a blank cheque. It, it reduces the bill, so it, like, puts downward pressure on inflation, makes the bill cheaper to you through your retailer. That's how they've designed it. And these modest, and they are very modest, they are really, they're not big increases in some of these welfare payments. Uh, I don't think they're kind of so huge that they're going to uh, put enormous pressure on spending um, and therefore inflation. Having said all that, economists are kind of divided. There are Mm. some saying, well, this is inflationary. Any money that you put into the economy at this key point is inflationary. Others saying it is so targeted that it will have a sort of negligible impact on inflation. I suppose the proof will be in the pudding, how the economy goes. The proof I will think, be on the next RBA meeting, I guess. Yeah, that's right. And and generally the sort of trajectory over coming months. Uh, but I think back to your other question about is there enough fairness in this? What's the counter-narrative or the, the, the other option that could have been taken? The other one could be that the government provided zero help to the most vulnerable people in our country uh, on the basis that they couldn't um, deal with, you know, inflame inflation at all. And would that be fair? I don't know how many people would would think that's okay. We talk about these groups as if they're divorced. Some of us have lived experiences living on welfare, including people listening to this right now. It's a lifeline for many. And don't forget that many people 
who do rely on welfare are also children. And so I'd, I just think there is a basic sort of human rights fairness issue around children being raised in such abject poverty in our country. And that fairness issue, I think, is a huge one. Uh, does this break the bank? Does this, you know, is this people on middle incomes getting blank checks? This this is not. This is not that. It is pretty modest. And so I think that on balance, the government probably will get away with it. Having said that, as I say, economists are, well, I think fair to say divided. Mm. I think probably the majority think it's probably inflationary, but I've heard some say they don't think it will be inflationary too. Yeah, it's certainly not blank checks. Yes, I think they probably will get away with it, but the Greens are going to make that hard. The Greens leader, Adam Bant, last night I heard one line from him, which is you can't eat a surplus. So he was scathing really of a surplus at the expense of, of those on JobSeeker. And and let's think, talk about a lot of people listening here might be on Youth Allowance or Oz Study. And I heard one student saying they spend 83% of their payment on their rent. So this isn't going to help much with that. We understand, it's not confirmed, but we're pretty sure that the decision to lift the overall rate of JobSeeker was a late decision once the government saw the windfall it was getting. I'm surprised that there wasn't a greater commitment to ongoing increases to JobSeeker in the out years, that there wasn't going to, the government not signalling, they're definitely going to find a way to do that. I mean, yes, there's a commitment mm. overall to helping those worth, worse off. The Jim Chalmers said, seeing people through the hard times and setting ourselves up for a better future, that was their fairness pitch. And it's certainly a world away from, you know, Tony Abbott's first budget where Treasurer Joe Hockey was talking about, you know, lifters and leaners. So it's, it's a world away from that. But actually, dollars in the pocket of the lowest paid, there isn't necessarily the commitment to the $76 a day, for instance, that ACOS and others were calling for. One thing that did strike me at the start of the Treasurer's budget speech, PK, almost his first words was he said, we strike a considered and methodical balance. Now, that word methodical, it's right out of the Anthony Albanese playbook, isn't it? This government rules by review, then response, review, then response. They had a review into economic inclusion, the response, well, many people have deemed it not enough, but it was a response. They had a review into women's economic equality and the response was a lift to the single parenting payment. They're now having a review into job services to try and work out how to better help people get into jobs um, at this time of low unemployment. I mean, there are plenty of jobs out there, Pete Gay. Yeah, I think that one's key, actually. And the, the, the Prime Minister was on RM Breakfast. We're recording this to give you a sneaky extra what's in the budget podcast. But he was on RM Breakfast on Wednesday morning as he did the rounds. And he, he pointed that out himself. One of the things that's defined my government is that we do look at, examine through the Women's Economic Task Force. You get a report. Then you respond. The Reserve Bank Review. You get a report and then you respond. Uh, you look at what the needs of the economy are and then you respond. Now, that's one of the opposition's uh, attack lines or the way they're trying to divert attention for whether they will probably not want to support an increase mm. to job seeker. Their argument is we've got record low unemployment and people should be put in those jobs because there are people desperate running businesses for workers, right? And but it guess seems... what? There's people desperate for jobs too and there's a disconnect. And there is a one disconnect. One of them is skills and, and I think you're going to talk about that. But the other is the low job seeker rate. I mean, if you don't have a mobile phone because you can't afford it, you don't have internet because you can't afford it, you don't have a car because you can't afford it, Bingo. it's pretty yep. hard to go out and get a job too. And will this rise, which is $40 a fortnight, put you in the sort of driver's seat of being... No job ready. I'm not convinced it will. So the Prime Minister says there's that review. You're right. He outlined, 
you know, his methodical approach. And I think that methodical approach is putting him in in good shape as Prime Minister, can I say. I think it's a smart approach to governing rather than uh, freestyling it. Uh, There is order to the way that he runs business. Yeah, it's a relief from the sort of press release and then it, nothing. It's not, it's, it's not chaos, right? It's, no, it, there's it's a structure. Ordered, it's smart. It's smart and it's sensible. But look, the big question is, uh, with such incremental small changes to some of these welfare payments, does this now put to bed the demands? Well, my view is, given we're seeing more and more of a windfall and um, this question that we had this big structural uh, budget problem, well, a lot of economists say we still have some structural issues, but clearly we are the lucky country still. We are in a situation, our budget's in a situation which would have been unthinkable a year or two ago, right? Absolutely unthinkable uh, as we were coming out of that pandemic, uh, shoveling money out and then having to pull those payments back. So much debt. What's happened is quite the turnaround. It is stunning. And so that's going to make those inside the government and those who are campaigning a little more ambitious, I think. And so the government is going to be pressed for more on JobSeeker, for more on housing and rent assistance. This doesn't end it for them, Fran, right? I reckon this is going to be uh, something that continues to bubble. That's true. Once you boost JobSeeker, that's that's then forever forward. So that becomes a structural load on the budget. So these things have to be worked out and that requires the government to make difficult decisions on the revenue side too, which it hasn't really done. I mean, there are some revenue measures in this, but they're not what you would call bold, I don't think. They are, you know, money from the resource rent from the gas producer. As many say they could have got a lot more out of that. Yeah, let's go to that because they did announce that at the be- because they've been announcing so much before the budget. I think it's fair to say we went into the lockup and we knew a lot of it. And I think, can I say, budgets are also a marketing exercise for government. So it makes sense to me that they were letting us know of a lot of the elements because they were getting two weeks of coverage rather than just a day, right? So we heard about the PRRT changes. I just want to ask you on that, Fran, because that's a really mm-hmm. interesting one. They have gone for the option that, yes, delivers them what? Is it $2.5 billion over the forward estimates? But ultimately, is the the lowest and the least offensive to the gas industry, right? Um, and that's been criticised by the Greens and elements of the progressive side of politics. Uh, well, but the government went for that very deliberately. It's burnt by the mining tax debate of re- yesteryear. It feels like they just are really, really not wanting to have big barnies. You would think so. I mean, even Rod Sims, the former head of the ACCC, said there was a, a, something else you could have done there that was quite in line with what other nations do when they're taxing their resource companies and we could have netted a lot more revenue. So that does seem as though it's a lost opportunity. And let's remember Jim Chalmers, treasurer now, was in Wayne Swan's office when he was treasurer and Labor tried to bring in a a resource rent tax and that went very badly politically for Labor. Um, And so perhaps there is the sort of the, the ghost of revenue measures passed in in this decision, but it does seem a a lost opportunity. But the government is going to have to grapple with the revenue side and maybe Anthony Albanese just wants to sort of bed his government down and do fulfil the promises that he actually did make before he starts trying to, uh, you know, put more measures to the electorate. So I think... Fran, I just sorry. He said in the interview with me, and it, it struck me because we've been raising it so many times. He said, and he and he owned it. I said I was going to be run a government that leaves no one behind. I 
went to an election saying I wanted a better future. I said that we would be governed by the philosophy of no one left behind. This is a budget that doesn't leave people behind, but no one held back, that we'd aspire to a better future as well. So he's he is leaning into that promise and saying, you know, you can expect this in this budget, but that reform is not over, that this is the project of mm. this government. So I think he's really trying to paint a picture and a story that that goes well beyond just this budget and say this is the style and going into the f- trajectory in the for- forward forward years, that's what he wants to do. I heard that answer and it was quite pointed. Basically, he said, I'm not done yet. Hang on. And what he very much wants is a second term to be able to continue the project, I think. So I, I think you're right that this narrative gives him just enough bones to do that and the surplus gives him a lot of political cover. Um, just finally, PK... What chance do you think the government will get this budget through the parliament as is? Because we know the Greens are dismissive particularly of that $40 fortnight boosted job seeker. Um, but on the other hand, the shadow treasurer, Angus Taylor, didn't seem convinced of that measure at all. He was questioning the fairness of the budget to middle Australia. What do you reckon? How can they not get it through? <laughs> That's the, the question I pose. And what I mean is, okay, so opposition, because if they get the opposition in the Senate, they, they've got it through they will support it seems the energy relief right yep so there's they've got that uh they will uh, peter dutton has indicated support the medicare bulk billing assistance tick so that's done single parent payment i think tick Uh, i think they know that one is quite key they haven't quite said yes to that but i think they're giving the signals that they know that it would look probably be a bad look to say no given those largely women are raising you know little kids it's not easy so the unemployment benefit, I think there's bigger question marks around. Uh, they do keep telling us, how about these people that, you know, there are all these job vacancies, you know, that's why they keep talking about that. So that means the government would need the Greens and the crossbench, right? The Greens are going to, I think, play hardball because on these issues around rents and uh, poverty and these class, if I can call them that, those issues... I think the Greens are really getting some traction, and they and they are. You're you're hearing more from the Greens and more of a fight on those sorts of issues than than climate, where they ended up supporting the government on those two key bills. So watch that space because they're still holding up the housing bill. I think there's a lot of politics to play out here. But at the end of the day, will the Greens blink? Will they vote against a forty dollar increase fortnight uh, to the unemployment benefit? Well, good luck to them if they do. I don't think that's terribly good look. But and I don't think the government's going to be enthusiastic about going higher, but there will be a little bit of argy-bargy on that. We're going to watch the politics of this play out uh, over the next little while. That's it from us on this budget bonus ep. We will be back with the party room, as you know and love it, full episode with guests and questions, as usual, on Thursday. See you, Fran. See you, PK.